This is Kate Tyson, and welcome to the first episode of Whiskey Fridays, the show where my colleague John Gerber and I pour ourselves one and discuss the ins and outs of creative business ownership. I hope, if you're listening to this today, that what we're about to talk about does not apply to you. I hope you are happy, thriving, and feeling so, so good about all the work you're doing in the world. For our first Whiskey Fridays episode, John and I dive into the thorny and emotional topic of deciding to shut down your business. We discuss how and why business leaders make that decision, the logistics of winding it all down, and what pitfalls to watch for along the way. And I should say that even though John and I are going to talk about business closures today, most of our work is working with thriving businesses. But we've also worked with a lot of businesses that do close. So even though we hope this isn't something you're considering right now, we also both believe it's okay to throw in the towel. Your business does not need to last forever. And so it's best to go into the process knowing what to expect. Why do people finally close, Kate? I have a theory, actually. Of course you do. So... <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Let's back up, John. What are you, what are you drinking? I am drinking tequila. This is Whiskey Fridays, and you're drinking tequila. <laughs> it's it's my new diet, and you know what? It's also better for my hangover. It's called Doble D O B E L. We'll share some. You'll like it. You're kind of ruining the whole title of our deal here but that's fine <laughs> you know what i will do better next time all right um i'm drinking maker's mark oh, good karina does not like maker's mark but i got it because it was on sale at the liquor store <laughs> is there any other way to choose it no. i mean every every once in a while it's like all right i'm i'm getting this stuff that i really want but for the most part it's like what's good and on sale right yeah Totally. Well, the double was like $10 off a bottle, so I bought two. Oh, <laughs> nice. All right. We're talking about closing businesses, and I have a theory about this. Because, you know, there's like a million reasons why people close their businesses, but I actually think that there's sort of one main reason, especially in with the folks that we deal with that close our businesses, which is that working for years and years and years with no end in sight really takes mm-hmm. its toll. And there's certain like made it points. And those are things like paying yourself or profit or mm-hmm. like having some semblance of your life back after working too much for too many years. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but I think it's really that like people don't know where they're trying to get to always. So there's sort of this like hamster wheel, exhausting treadmill marathon thing. And at some point people Mm -hmm. run out of steam and that's actually why they close. It's because they can't rally another time. Yeah. I, do you think that's right? I agree with that. I do. You and I have seen a lot of other reasons why people dissolve their businesses. Like relationship issues like we've seen a lot of business divorce as the as the reason why people don't continue their business but i think 
the fatigue issue is huge, um, especially because like you start out and the enthusiasm of creating your business and being in startup mode carries you a long way. But at some point, if you don't see a way out of that, and it requires that same level of energy to like do what you need to do every day, but only to sort of just keep the business afloat as opposed to actually starting something or growing something and building, then the enthusiasm just isn't there. And, and um, the pandemic did that to a lot of people, right? Because they, they were fighting, fighting, fighting during that time just to survive. And at some point after years, like there's no energy for that anymore. You know, during the pandemic and with everybody fighting so hard to just survive, there's all this adrenaline that's keeping people in the fight. And then there was also, at the same time, relief funding, uh, PPP loans, EDL, stuff like that, that ended up floating people through the upheaval, at least for a little bit. And I think now we're getting to this point where a lot of that, both both the adrenaline that kept up the fight and the funding that floated people, that's all running out. And so like I'm seeing a lot more actual upheaval and closures now than a year ago. I'm wondering if, if you're seeing that too in your practice. I, I am. Are you having more conversations with people that are that are running out of steam than you were a year ago? Yeah, exactly what we just said. Like they fought the battle and they like tried and at this point they're just like, fuck it. I'm done. In fact, I got an email from somebody I don't even know today that said that said, Hey, I'm thinking about dissolving my company. We took an EIDL loan, it got us through the pandemic. But like we're 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 just done. Same deal. So can you can you tell us how to run yeah. that process, right? Which kind of goes to I think kind of goes to one of your questions for today. Yes, please. <laughs> how, how does how does that go to one of my questions for today? Well, I <laughs> I know you wanted to talk about entrepreneurs being optimistic and issues that they have around why why do we do this in the first place like why do why do people have to get themselves in the position where this stuff becomes so risky yeah you know i did talk to our dear friend and now former client i guess she's still your client for a little bit um right. heather thomason of primal supply meats last week and you know, a lot of what we talked through and she talked about was just how long and difficult it was to make the call. Mm. And and my point to her was like, is that there isn't usually, I mean, sometimes people really do get the rug pulled out from under them, you know, or there's an illness or something catastrophic happens, that, yeah, like, 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 like a, a flood, flood. Yeah. like a flood, yeah, that would end it. But, you know, if things aren't in a, let's say, disaster mode, and I would argue Heather was not in a disaster mode. If you're not in a disaster mode, then often it's, you know, it's not a case where you get a really clear signal that says it's time. Right. Like you need to call this. And there's certainly signs along the way, like your debt ratios or 
something like that that would be indicators on on the way along the roadside uh, as you're moving along. But you know, I think one of the things she and I talked about in debt in in depth is just how hard it is to call it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk more about how do you how do you make this decision? Because we've you and I have both seen people just fucking agonize over it agonize like crazy agonize and like talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and like it's really painful (laughs) it's very painful but like like you said there's no there's a lot of times no obvious reason so like i i was dealing one with one actually today and their scenario is it's a small company they probably do Anywhere from like sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars of like net cash at the end of the year that they can pay the owners. There's two of them here, not just one. So, like the two owners might be making, I don't know, thirty, forty grand in a in a good year, right? And they have eight hundred thousand dollars in SBA debt. So, like. They're faced with this prospect. The business works, if quote unquote. You know, they're they're not losing money. Um, they're making this sort of minimal kind of salary. I guess they like what they're doing. But like to your point, there's no obvious like it can continue. But for how long? If you're that person and that's what you're doing on a good year, just to just sort of like get to a decent year, like how long do you keep doing that? I mean, even right. if you took all your money. All your free cash flow and paid your SBA loan and didn't make anything it would take you 10 years or more to pay it off. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, I don't know. I think that's kind of a not uncommon situation that these entrepreneurs are in. Yeah. And you couldn't see my face, but I was like grimacing when you were saying those, those, uh, those circumstances. Is it, is it familiar? Oh, is- yeah. Because, it, and I think this is, this is this is in some sense maybe the Heather conundrum is like you're you're getting by, but then what? Right. And the enthusiasm you had at the beginning when you're doing a startup, like that pulls you through this kind of stuff for a while because you're growing and you can see the future and you have all these ideas and this kind of stuff. Like the pandemic put a put a real hard line on that for a lot of people. And then all they were doing is fighting this fight just to get to the point sort of in the example that I gave you. I don't think we can talk specifically about particular, you know, clients, at least not that we're going to put on tape, right? No, not not in the public sphere. Not in the public <laughs> sphere. But, but yeah, her situation is a good example of that. And, and I think that goes to your point of like, if you're the person in that decision, at how long do you keep going? Yeah. How do you recognize when the fatigue is just like enough ready and like, fuck it, I'm not doing this anymore? Yep. And I think some of what's hard is that, like I wrote in my notes to you, entrepreneurs are naturally optimistic. Like we have to be. Otherwise, why would we do this shit half the time? Um, Like you have to believe in things that are impossible to create something new. So, you know, if that's how you're wired, and even if things like these guys that you're talking about, that you're talking to today, I'm sure that they see optimistic signs all the time. 
like they could be feeling bleak about this. I'm just projecting all of this on them right now, but they could be feeling really bleak about this, but then maybe they have some like client win or customer win or sales pickup or their right. team feels really good. At, you know, there's like stuff along the way that can be like, oh, well, but maybe if I just get over this next mountain, yeah, then it'll all be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you get the little breadcrumbs to keep. Yes. Yes, it's like breadcrumbs. And then I don't think those ever disappear. It's like they make it sparser. <laughs> like like you're there they were a few feet mm-hmm. between the breadcrumbs and now there's like ten feet mm-hmm. between the breadcrumbs, but you're still like looking out for those breadcrumbs. And then the other things are sunk fallacy costs. Like you put so much work into this. Yes. And then there is the actual risk of stopping. Like in this example that I gave, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars of secured, personally guaranteed SBA debt. So that means if they stop, I mean, who knows how long it takes the SBA to get around to getting to you, but at some point they will, and that's out there. So you're like, I could keep going and just sort of put pot and do this thing. And I, and I might be feeling like I hate it at this point because it's just so oppressive and the breadcrumbs are getting even further or further apart or whatever. Um, but if I don't keep doing this, I'm kind of host. I think the other big one that I hear a lot from folks is just the, the obligation to employees, to customers, to community, yeah. like that feeling like you're responsible for livelihoods you're responsible for your customers, your clients, and then your community, sometimes your vendors, like, you know, you're in this ecosystem that you've built around you. And then you're, you are going to solely or in a partnership be responsible for letting all these people down. Yep. Not a good feeling. All right. So those are reasons. I, I think you deal with this front-end piece more than I do because I often get the call where people say, well, I've I, I decided to shut my thing down. Yeah. With you, I think it's more, well, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I, I think the real question I was trying to ask, and I don't know that I have a really good, I was trying to think if I had a good answer to it and I don't have a clean answer to it. And the the question that I don't have a clean answer to is how do you make this decision easier or sooner or less, mm. you know, in a less backbreaking way. And I think some of it, I mean, I would say the big mistake that I see or like the thing that I wish I could save more people from, and you probably do too, is that they leave more gas in the tank. I think a lot of folks would get to this point of thinking about closing or actually closing, and they've been running on fumes for a while. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're out of juice. And I would say that both, you know, that happens both on the like personal energetic level where you are so burnt out that you just kind of fall over one day and it's done or the business runs out of cash or is too close to running out of cash. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is the longer you wait when you know you probably are going to close or you're thinking about it the fewer options you probably will end up having in terms of actually winding it down gracefully mm-hmm. and with like great care. Mm. Because most people, when you've gotten that far, if you're going to end it, you want to do it on your terms and not on the lender's terms or yeah. 
somebody else's terms or yeah outside of your control and so I, I think some of it is that there's this advice blog that I've been reading for years that's awesome called Captain Awkward and the woman that writes it has this principle I think it's called the she is she principle I don't re- quite remember but it's usually about dump that motherfucker kind of scenarios where you've let this bad relationship play out too long and you're wondering mm-hmm. when that person's going to change. Mm-hmm. And so the principle is basically like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar. Right. I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm <laughs> so this principle says, if nothing else changes, how long will you put up with this? Three months, four months, Mm -hmm. a year, two years. That kind of question can help being more rational about the actual objective facts before you. Because often, you know, emotions take over and you're tired. And so, and I've done this with clients where we set a baseline of cash cushion. And once they start dipping below that, I'm like, Red alert, red alert, mm. red alert. That's a good one. Well, it's a good one because it's like, you know, how much cash do you want to be able to divvy up, pay things, pay your team? And and this works best, I would say, like, some of the clients I've done this, this with lately don't have debt. So it's a cleaner decision. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're not worried about repaying anybody. It's more about we have obligations to our team we want to make, if we're going to call this. And then we also want to walk out with a certain amount of cash and we don't want to, we don't want to go below a certain number. Right. And so I think that one, if you're on the edge, that's a really good way to benchmark it is just every month, check your cash on hand and name whatever your number is. And if you start to dip below that consistently, Mm -hmm. like you're going to start seeing that number go down and down Mm -hmm. and that would give you a clear indicator i like that it and it definitely gives you the the options that you're going to want to have if you're in a wind down yep and then the other one and this is interesting back to the sort of nobody can call it for you because i know and again to preview my conversation with heather she felt like she got to this moment where she wanted somebody to tell her she had to stop and nobody would do that for her and you you wouldn't do that <laughs> I, I wanted to. You wouldn't either. No, so, because we can't. I wanted to. There were definitely times where I wanted to be like, you know what? And sometimes I'd be on the phone with her and I'd be like, well, it sounds to me like you're ready to, you know, pull it. But I never just said, you know what, just fucking do it. And why, why is that? Because I have an answer. But I'm wondering what your answer to I don't is. know. Mine's probably wishy-washy, but it's it's not my job. It's, you know, I mean, it maybe it is my job. You know, I, I do consider it that I'm, a you know, an advisor to my clients and I should actually help them make a decision where I would say, like, here's my advice on your decision. Uh, but I just backed off on it because I felt like in that situation, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had analyzed all the different scenarios and so that whatever decision she made, she had all the information, you know, and knew really where to go, you know, 
um, but never just said, okay, we did that. Now I think you should pull the plug. Yeah. What about you? I think I would say the same thing. Yeah. And, and I would add that I think, I think it's tricky because like I said, there's certain indicators. Like I try and basically set up very objective financial indicators for people and then also reflect back to people what I'm hearing about their levels of fatigue and Mm. burnout and how much shit they're going through. Right. But I do think it, it feels like as somebody that's paid to be an advisorship relationship with somebody, like it's, it is not my job to tell them to pull the plug. Like I do think there's a little bit of an ethical quandary there where you may know that they're close, but you can't push them over the edge. And like, if it was a relationship breakup, right? Like, do you want your friend to say, you know, ditch that person? Or do you want them to just kind of like get to where you're talking about? So like, well, you might not listen. Yeah, you definitely might not listen. And you just might not like that piece of advice. It's very, it's very personal. So but yeah, so that's a that is a little bit of a dilemma, and I, and I do recall on several occasions feeling like I should just tell her how I feel and be like, "Fucking do this," you know. So maybe we can switch gears to after you make that decision. Okay. You know, it's not over now. All this stuff has to happen. We referenced closing gracefully. Yeah. And so I kind of want to turn it to you because you, again, like as we've been saying, (laughs) I tend to do the like deep emotional pre-mortem kind of work. And then people come to you because, you know, when you do, when you do close, you need a lawyer and an accountant on your team. But I do think your point of like wanting to do an orderly or a wind down that in a way that they want to do it. I see that being a, an overriding goal um, that overrides even sort of the strictly legal stuff. Like the ideas that you're talking about, about reserving funds or having the ability to pay employees and, and that kind of thing. Um, it really comes into play as you're trying to figure out how to actually do the wind down. Right. When people come to you, are there certain things that you're really, you're, you're like praying and hoping they haven't done? Like, well, what, are you, what are you hoping that they show up to that conversation <laughs> having done? Well, there's the obvious one, which is that if they have no personal guarantees, no personal liability, then it's easy. If they have personal liability, that changes the whole equation, Right. And that's like, um, I took out a loan and my house is on the line, right? It usually looks like I needed a loan. I got it from the SBA. So I had to personally guarantee it and probably mortgage my house to secure the personal guarantee. Or I had to sign a lease because I was, you know, expanding my business or starting my business. And to get the space, the landlord required me to personally guarantee the lease, right? Which again, means my personal assets are on the hook or I took out a shit ton of credit card debt 
And of course, even though the credit card might say the company's name on the bottom of it, it's really a personal obligation. So, you know, I know one of, one of the questions that we wanted to talk about was like, what kind of resources do you need to help you through this process? And I think having a bankruptcy lawyer is really important. I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer, as you know, I know enough to say some things, but um, having a, a real bankruptcy lawyer is important because while with the kind of companies we're talking about, the likelihood of the company actually filing for bankruptcy is super low because, you know, any of these creditors could come after the company. The company has whatever assets it has and that's it. And you're not on the hook for it. Going back to the question of what is the one thing that is the game changer? If somebody has the personal guarantee, then you have to, you have to worry about what the impact is going to be. So like you haven't personally guaranteed a lease or a loan and maybe you don't have any credit card debt. Your bankruptcy lawyer is going to say, if you want to give the landlord the keys and walk away, like you're, you can do that because they're going to have all the assets that you of your business that are in there on their property. You probably don't have much of anything else or it's owed to a lender. That's, that's that. Right. Um, I don't even know if I can think of a situation where it's actually going down like that. You know, I think, um, I mean, this is obvious, but like when this is happening, they need to have a plan about how it's going to all go down. And I'm not talking about the dissolution plan, which is like the formal legal plan that you end up filing with the corporation bureau and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a wind down plan, you know, make a decision about when it's going to be the last day of operations look at your cash look at what if you got the inventory like how long it's going to take to sell that off or whatever work in process customer agreements that you have that you could still make money on and then there's a date and that's my last day and then you work backwards from that and from there you can figure out how much cash did i have did i like go below, below my red line and like what how far is that going to go if I can wind up these customer agreements and bring in some more revenue, if I can sell some assets or whatever your business is, um, I'll know by that last day kind of what I have or maybe what I'm going to have. And then you can say, all right, how do I want to, how do I want to allocate that? Right. Yeah. How do you make those decisions? John? How do you, how do you make those decisions? I mean, you already touched on it. I think, most people make those decisions based on the relationships that they have and the ones that exist and whether or not they want to preserve them in the future. Yeah. I mean, some of them you have to do, right? You're going to, no matter what, reserve money so that you can make payroll for your employees for the time that they work. That's a, that's a given, right? Yep. But maybe you're able to reserve something more as either a stay bonus to keep them through that last day or something to cushion the blow you know, when you have to let them go after that last day. Yeah. Right. Um, That's sort of uh, the best case scenario. That is the best case scenario. But you have to at least have money to pay the payroll. Yep. Right. Um, bad stuff happens when you don't pay people for what they want. Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> they can come with wage claims. Like, it's just not good. And you yeah, have no, that's and a you, mess. And you would have personal liability potentially for that. And it's just not good. And plus, it's not right. Mm -mm. So, yeah. 
Um, and same thing with taxes. You know, if you have sales tax and other taxes that the company has incurred, you, you want to make sure you get those. Um, after that, you know, people typically prioritize things that they have personal liability on. So I guess my point is you're making decisions about what from the pot of cash you have, how you want to do it. Um, you you want to, as much as possible, pay the relationships that you're you want to pay that you have particular suppliers like we were talking about, you know, that you want to take care of. Um, but you have to balance that. There is sort of a legal thing. You have to balance that against the rights of your creditors, in particular, if you have secured creditors, because, you know, secured creditors have the legal right to get paid first. Essentially, your assets are theirs once you default on their debt, which presumably you've done during this process, right? Right, right. So you want to be able to do all this stuff, but you need to be able to justify it as transactions that are essentially in the ordinary course as part of a, a, an orderly wind down and not, you know, paying people who don't have priority over your secure creditor. Right. And then what if you don't have enough money? Obviously, in an ideal world for your creditors and your lenders and your employees, like you would have, you would close and you'd have abundant resources, but that's never the case because otherwise you wouldn't be ending you would be, it. You wouldn't be yeah, doing, you'd be yeah. doing something different. Right. So when there isn't enough of a pot to go around to everything you have an obligation to, how do you sort that out? And Well, I mean, I'm making the assumption that there's not enough money to pay everybody. Because that's usually what happens. It's always what happens. Otherwise, you you might be selling the company and selling it for some, you know, going concern value and then getting something for yourself at the end, right? Or whatever. But like, that is the question. How deep of how deep of a problem are we talking about? You know, like, well, like you said, uh, eight hundred thousand dollars to the SBA. That's pretty deep. That's very deep. But but what will happen if the main partner in that deal decides he's not doing it anymore that company has enough cash in it kind of where like because they're they haven't specifically followed your advice but they will have enough cash to pay their employees to pay their company taxes and maybe nothing else right maybe they could pay some personal credit card debt that they have so what happens is that the <laughs> the creditor everybody else isn't going to get paid yeah. Um, so then the question is, you know, is the debt personally guaranteed or not? If it's not personally guaranteed, then the entrepreneur can basically walk away and just be like, well, you know, the company is an empty shell at this point. Creditors can bring their claims against it. And they're not going to get anything. They will get nothing. And I don't have anything to, to lose on that. Right. But the whole equation flips when they have personal debt. Right. And then generally... Correct me if I'm wrong, lawyer yeah. John. No, go for it. Um, I mean, you're you're essentially then looking at personal bankruptcy. You, it depends who the creditor is. You know, like if if the creditor is the SBA, if the creditor is the government, probably that's what the advice that I have heard from bankruptcy lawyers over and over on that one. Not not because the SBA is going to catch up with you right away. Like right. it's sort of a little bit of a timing issue. You might wait, but. However many years it takes them, like they're gonna, and I think they're mandated to, and so they're so at some point they're gonna find you and come after you, and at that point they could get the judgment, and you'll, you know, you might not have any assets to satisfy that judgment, and there are ways that those could be protected potentially under Pennsylvania law, for example, 
but um but it still doesn't mean that like they won't do it and that your only way to really get that off you is to have the bankruptcy so so let's back up if you're okay with it for yeah and be like okay so now let's back up to that that question which is before all this stuff like okay so how do we get ourselves in this situation if we're the optimistic entrepreneur and like what should what should you not do well i don't know (laughs) if you should not do it but like what's the choice you have to make when you want to do something so again this is sort of it more in the upfront planning part of of life you know where the company is typically growing right because they are going to sign a new lease or they're going to get some debt that's going to allow them to do something like what's that decision making process look like Right. So this folks with the 800,000 SBA loan, there was some point in the last few years of pandemic where, you know, whatever upheaval they were experiencing, because mm-hmm. there had to be some, especially for that size of loan, because that's, mm-hmm. that's a bigger one. Big. Yep. Um, where, and, and I would say, you know, the thing about those pandemic EDA loans was the terms seemed really good. And maybe it not even seemed really good. I would say they were good. Yes. Like 3%, 30 years, you can't really get a bank loan on those terms. Yeah. So, and I certainly experienced this with folks applying for those where there's something about that long timeline that makes it seem sort of inconsequential. (laughs) Right. Which in, in a way, it's almost the opposite's true. Because it's like, actually, you're going to be with this thing for a long time, unless you pay it off sooner. Yes. So, and I think that's the like, that moment of you need this lifeline of cash to keep the business going as an ongoing concern. But to do that, you're creating this big hole. Big. That, you know, if you picture like profit as like a little bit of dirt at a time. You're just going to be shoveling profit into that hole for however long it takes. And maybe there's some like really good year and you can bring a dump truck of dirt. (laughs) But like there's other years where you might just have teaspoons. But that is like a hole that's going to be part of your business for as long as that loan's there. Right. And it's also going to be this cloud over you personally. Because if the hole doesn't get filled something happens and your backhoe breaks down so you can't put any more dirt in the hole. Yeah. Um, you have this cloud hanging over you where you've signed stuff, you've mortgaged your house. And I guess where I'm going with it a little bit, you tell me what your opinion is on it, is that even though like I have conversations with people about what the implications are of this and like we talk it through. And, like, I, you know, if, I, if I'm part of that, you know, sometimes I, I get it after this is already in place. I think it's it's abstract. It's sort of like your mm-hmm. thing about the 30 years just seems like whatever. I think this idea of this personal guarantee of what it can do for you to your life is abstract. Right. And the alternative is the alternative is you close and you haven't done everything it takes, quote unquote. True. Because you had a you had an option available to keep it going and you didn't take it. And I think that decision is really hard. That's a tough one. There was one thing I did want to say that that when we're talking about the wind down plan, um, I jumped into it about like what your cash look like and who you're going to pay. 
And I do think so long as you're not doing something that's going to like subject you to liability to your creditors is really all about relationships and reputation that you yeah. want to preserve. Um, sort of side note on the plan is along the way, you also have to plan out who you tell and when. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that's really important too. You know, and again, I think driven by the same thing, um, relationships and reputation, you know? Yep. Um, so for example, you know, you're, you're going to want to tell your employees as early as possible, right? Because you want to be respectful and try to give them as much time to do something about it as possible, right? But you know, as soon as you tell your employees, it becomes public, right? For so, sure. there's, so there's an issue there. Same thing with your customers and suppliers. Like you want to you want to give them time to transition, but you need them maybe to get to your end date. Like that right. kind of thing. Yeah. And um, similar to like deciding who gets paid, like you would think that, you know, wow, if I owed $800,000 to somebody, like they should probably know right away, right? Tell the SBA last. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, they're going to have their rights no matter what. You know what I mean? They have a contract. They have their rights no matter what. You, you probably don't care about them the same way you care about your employees, your customers, and your suppliers. I would hope you don't yeah. care about the SBA the same way that you, you know care what I mean? And same thing, and same thing with your landlords, probably. You know what I mean? Like they might get pissed. They will get pissed off. Like, why did you tell me sooner? And you can deal with that, but there's really no reason to. You know, you know, we're this decision making process is actually really interesting to me because I'm risk averse. And, you know, I, I haven't. Is that, is that a legal characteristic? Like, I feel like that's a good lawyer. It is. Yeah. Lawyers tend to be pretty risk averse people in general. We build by the hour. I mean, how, <laughs> how much, how, you know, less risk averse can you be? Like, I do the work I'm getting paid for every six minutes. So, um, but, you know, we we jumped into what we've been seeing over the last few years a lot, which is the companies aren't doing well and they're getting these loans to kind of pull them out. There's also the scenario where it's actually like an opportunity. If you're in retail or you're a gym or whatever, and you have the chance to get a new location and maybe in a new city. And but to do that, like that's where the personal guarantee on the lease comes. So this so we're totally just in like growth optimism mode. Right. I know I've been very colored by, well, the summer of failure that mm. I am uh, studying, but also I think, you know, the last week or so of flooding and just seeing what's happening. Yeah. I thank you for reminding me that <laughs> sometimes it's, it's because good things are happening, which is totally true. Not taking the loan because you're in survival mode is really hard not taking on the debt or the personal guarantee because you're in thriving mode. That's way harder. Yes. That, uh, yes. I mean, that's like standing before your success mountain and being like, mm, I can <laughs> see it up there, but you know, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. We're just going to chill down here. And nobody does that. No. I mean, how can you say no when, when that's what you've been like hoping for? But, you know, that doesn't guarantee everything's going to keep going well forever or you're going to get up onto that mountain and not realize you didn't want to be there. And and it can take the whole thing down. That's true. Yeah. Take the entire mountain that you built. 
How do we want to wind this down? Orderly. <laughs> with with an orderly wind down plan. An orderly wind down. Yes. All right. So what were the takeaways from this? I think there's a couple takeaways. One part of what we're talking about is almost like mile markers on a path. There's one where you start to have that feeling that it might be done or you might be done. You're in that sort of limbo of should I keep going or not? And so I think that's one. And that can I, that can be happening because you don't love it anymore, because you're burnt out, because it's sustaining, but it's not thriving and that's not tenable long term. So I think there's different markers on there. And the takeaway, if I were to offer one around that, is don't drag that period out because limbo is the worst. And... So, you know, and that can look like gathering your advisors, that can look like getting the right metrics in front of you, that can look like taking two days to disappear and like stare at a creek somewhere in the woods, like go to your therapist, go to your therapist. Yeah, like pull in all of your emotional support and resources and get your get your people around you. I I think that's key. That earlier decision is better for you and for what you're ultimately going to want to do. I would say, given just the impact of a personal obligation, like just make sure you really have your eyes open about what the real consequences of that are. Yeah. Um, And I guess the other thing for me is like, you know, there are legal requirements on the wind down, but doing it orderly as we've described it, where where relationships get prioritized is okay. And hopefully you can make it work. The paperwork plan is gonna be very strict. Yes. The wind down plan is gonna be what hopefully you want it to be. More like what you want it to be. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Cool. Okay. You know what I wanna talk about next time? I was gonna ask, what do you wanna talk about next time? I kind of want to talk about partnerships and divorces. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, totally. Because it's kind of related to this. Well, cheers, John. Cheers, Kate. We'll talk to you next time. Can't wait. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Fridays. Our next episode will be an interview I did with Heather Thomason of Primal Supply Meats, who we mentioned in this episode. Heather and I talk about her decision to shut down her multi-million dollar butcher business after seven years. To receive updates on new episodes and my writing exploring new possibilities in business and economics, visit katetyson.substack.com. Whiskey Fridays is a collaboration between myself, Kate Tyson of Wanderwell Consulting, and my friend and colleague, John Gerber of Unlawyer. This episode was edited by me, with much hand-holding and indispensable wisdom from Sean McMullen of Yellow House Media.